those who have um, led our worship music this morning, to those who have read and to those who have prayed. It's really been great. And um, let me add my welcome to Sam's. Thank you for his welcome. My name's Chris, and as he said, I am uh, one of the MAPs, one of the ministry associates from Chalmers Church. And let me say what a, a joy, what an encouragement it is to be here this morning at Redeemer to see you all. I'm going to start off with a confession, a small confession, that when I first heard Chalmers was going to plant this church here in Redeemer, I was quite a new Christian. And certainly the idea of planting churches was brand new to me. And I actually thought it was a bit daft. <laughs> I mean, I've just got here. All these people are now leaving. I haven't even said hello to you and you and him. And why are we sending away so many people? You know, like we're in a secular society. Shouldn't we be focusing on building up the church that we've already got? And why are we sending away people that are like really well equipped, brilliant people? Uh, I think it's fair to say as times past, as I've seen and heard of the, the ways God has grown his kingdom here in this community, I think I've warmed to the idea. I know, I think it's really, really brilliant that you're here in Collington. Um, let me, just before we start, encourage you to keep your Bibles open at Psalm 96. I think it's really helpful to be able to follow along with where I'm going, but also to see where all this is coming from, see the source in the scripture this morning. So let me pray for our time before we start. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the time that you've given us this morning to gather together as a local church in this community to praise you. Lord, we ask that in all your kindness, you would help us to see clearly what your word has to say to us this morning. Help me to be faithful to this scripture and give us all a firm grasp on where you are so worthy of praise. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we know from the reading, we're going to be spending some time in the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms, which is in the Old Testament. And the book of Psalms is, is made up of a plethora of poetry. We're really, when we read this book, we're reading the hymn book of ancient Israel. And, of course, ancient Israel being the first readers of the scripture that we have in front of us. But it's not something that's lost on us today, singing in praise, singing in worship of the Lord. I mean, we've just done that several times this morning. But what I really want us to consider before we start is why is singing an appropriate response to God? Why do we gather each week and sing? And I think the first few verses of Psalm 96, they give us a bit of an answer to this. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. That's why we sung this morning. It's not because it's a good Christian thing to do, but to project our praise to God. We'll think a little bit more about singing in a moment. But first, I think we really need to gear our heads sort of contextually with this psalm before we dive into it. Because really, the psalms, as we've already spoken about very briefly, the poetry the psalmist in this scripture that we're reading, he's not being really specific. He's not being really direct with his words. He's painting for us a picture. And the picture he paints, he's thinking ahead to a future generation. But it's also a picture that shows us the way things should be now. So the psalmist, he's looking forward to a generation ahead of his own. And he's thinking about a time when there will be universal praise, universal worship of the one true, God, one true God, every person on earth. And I think we can see this quite clearly, just skimming the psalm, um, how that's evident. Look at verse 1. Sing to the Lord, 
all the earth. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations. Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of peoples. And verse 11, let the earth rejoice. And as we often do when we think about um, thoughts of the future in the Old Testament, we do ask ourselves the question, is this psalm pointing forward to us? Is it pointing forward to here, to today and now? And I think it's quite clear the answer is, is probably a categorical no. And that's really easy to see just by looking around us. When we look around us, what do we see? Well, it's certainly not a world that praises God. God, of course, does rule the earth. He is ruling. But we don't see the universal praise that the psalmist is talking about. So if not today, where is our passage pointing to? And as we answer this question, I think it's really important we do so looking through the right lens. And that lens is the lens of the Lord Jesus. And fortunately for us, he actually helps us to see the importance of this himself. I'm just going to feel free not to, to flick there. I'm going to read a verse from Luke's gospel. This is from Luke 24, verse 44, where Jesus says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It's clear that the psalmist looks forward in this passage to a time that Jesus will fulfill. So with that in our minds, let's try to unpack the picture that's being painted. What do we find out about God in this psalm, about his character, and why are we being told? And we're going to do that this morning by looking at the passage in three parts, three points. Uh, and the first of those we'll think about is God's glory. And this is from verse, uh, verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 96. See, the psalmist first points us to consider singing. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. And you'd be forgiven for thinking that he's referencing a new tune or maybe some new lyrics to, to a banger of an old hymn. But I think the new grace that he is talking about here, the new thing, is a new experience of God's grace. And we actually get a really good idea of how this new song should sound. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. It might be worth pausing here to think about how we sing as Christians when we gather together. I think music in general is really full of emotion. It's in its nature. And that's probably why it's a really good way for us to build each other up, to sing praise to God. But emotion on its own can be a bit of a stumbling point. It's very easy for us to fall into the trap of focusing on how a song makes us feel. Am I getting that good, fuzzy worship feeling when I sing? Am I getting that tingle down my spine when the harmonies in the room resonate beautifully? But the psalmist doesn't mention any of this. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Bless his name. Bless his name for the grace that he's shown us. Bless his name for the redemption he has offered us in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Sing of his glory, his marvelous works among all people. Our focus is to be firmly on him. Not the feelings that our response to him gives us. And the second half of verse 2, it gives us more to go on on this. Tell of this salvation from day to day. I find it really helpful to think of this in a sort of directional way. So we sing our praises upward to God, but we also sing horizontally. We sing side to side to each other. 
So we sing truths of salvation to build one another up, to encourage one another, strengthen one another. But also, if there are people among us who've never heard these things before, it's a way that we teach people as well. So praise upward to God, but also directionally sideways, horizontal to one another. And it might be helpful to think of this when we consider the songs that we sing together as a church. We don't just sing songs that sound great, although in my opinion, they do sound great. Um, but it's important that the songs that we sing are packed with truth, truth about God, truth that will help us grasp the gospel better when we sing them for this reason. And that's exactly what we did in the last song. We sang that we are one with everlasting kindness, but with sacrificial blood. We reminded ourselves and each other of these huge truths through Jesus' sacrifice while praising God. Now let's move to look at verse 4, where there's a sort of change of emphasis. Let me read verses 4 and 5 again. The psalmist writes, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And let's be really clear, the reference to, uh, to gods here, that's lowercase g, gods, isn't entertaining the idea that there are any other eternal beings out there. In fact, I think it's quite the opposite. You see, we hear throughout the Old Testament, the ancient Israel, again, original readers of this psalm, were surrounded by cultures and people who fancied having their own go at the whole God thing. So for the Canaanites, it was the likes of Baal and Astre. And if you were an ancient Egyptian, well, you needed a pocket phone book just to keep up with all the gods that you meant to have on your platter. And there's countless examples of these man-made idols. And the psalmist tells us they're completely worthless, completely empty. Not only that, but look to the alternative. Look at God. The Lord made the heavens. In comparison, what have any of these man-made idols ever done for us? Why would you even need to take a second look at any alternative when you can see what he is capable? He is our creator, and he is also to be feared. I think that is one of the most grievous ongoing mistakes of, of humanity, of, of modern culture, I suppose, because humanity on a whole has forgotten to fear God. Sin has painted over our reverence for him, and, and especially in our easy breezy society. We, we all know we live in a time that's, that's feel good, don't think about the consequences. When I was still a student at university, which wasn't that long ago, I used to have a friend that really enjoyed talking about spiritual things. Um, you know, the kind of conversation that you have down the pub on a Wednesday night over a split bag of scampi fries. Uh, very insightful, philosophical stuff. But she used to often exclaim that if God is so caring, so full of mercy, like it says in the Bible, well, I'm sure it doesn't really matter the decisions that I make. The decisions I make, the way I live, I'm sure the God of the Bible doesn't really mind when all's said and done. I'd much rather focus on my career anyway. So for my friend, worshipping a career was far higher on the priority things of lists of list of things to worship than the one who made the heavens. But this passage pulls us up from that. It says that actually the creator is above anything we could possibly prioritize that actually none of these other worthless, empty, worldly idols have done anything for us. 
empty in the shadow of a great creator. And that's really what these first few verses of this psalm are doing. They're really trying to show us God's glory, his significance, his splendor and majesty, strength and beauty. But I do want us to see that this isn't just something that was relevant for ancient Israel. This goes far beyond the Old Testament gods of the Canaanites, the Egyptians. Remember, the psalm is painting a picture, not only of the way things will be one day, but of the way things should be today. So what do we have today? Well, today we have all these religions all over the earth making an image of the nations that form them. And it's easy to forget, we live in a, a predominantly secular society, it's easy to forget that this is still so prominent. The Lord G gods of man, they're still present throughout the world. But Psalm 96 is clear. All the nations need people who are glorifying the Lord in all the earth. The glory of God to be known among all the nations, all the peoples. And isn't it great that people actually have gone out and done this? People are doing this as we speak. People who have gone out to other countries, other nations, and told people about Jesus. There's living evidence of that in this room also. I mean, we're here in Scotland. Scotland's one of these nations. We're not standing in ancient Israel. And in fact, when this psalm was written, Scotland was pagans as far as the eye could see. So take real encouragement that here today in Redeemer and Collington, we're seeing this worship. We're seeing some of this praise. And we should be encouraged by that, but we should also really strive to keep on keeping on with that, keep growing that. We thought a lot about God's glory, his magnificence in these verses but do we really resonate with what the psalmist has written? Do we really see that the idols around that surround us are empty and worthless, existing only in the shadow of his glory? Well, that's exactly why we sing to God. When we gather to sing praises to him and not them, to bless his name. So let's move on to our second point this morning. We're going to look at verses 7 to 9, and we're going to think about his Jew, the praise that he is worthy of. Read with me again from verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Amongst the verses of this psalm, we are being submerged in some really rich, really significant elements of God's character, of who he is. We've uh, already thought about his royal magnificence. Now we're drawn to think about his holiness. More specifically, why his holiness makes him so worthy of praise. And what are these things in contrast to? What's the alternative? Well, it's sin. Sin that is made to look attractive, sin that is put on a pedestal in our society, or at the very least, sin that litters the path to things that really look attractive for us. Here we're told that real attractiveness, real beauty, real splendor is actually found in God's holiness. And the Sabbath says that with this knowledge, we should ascribe, bring our own offering to God. And I'm not talking about money. This is an offering of worship. Now, we've already thought about singing to God in response to him, but this offering of worship is much more than just singing. 
I think the psalmist is talking about a whole life worship, responding to God in everything that we do within our lives. And when we grasp what we've seen so far, God in his glory and his holiness, it can really spur us to worship him in this way. But often that's not how we feel. Uh, We can often grow cold in our worship, grow cold in our faith. Um, In my previous job, I used to be a shopkeeper. And sadly, I didn't own the shop. I just worked there. But as many of you can guess, it wasn't always the most stimulating job during the, the COVID lockdowns. In fact, it was a long period of time where it was really, really mundane. Um, open up the shutters, mop the floor, count the float in the till, wait for the old customer, lock the shop, go home, go to sleep, rinse and repeat. It was dead boring. And I was really just going through the motions every day. And I think we can really feel this way in our faith sometimes. We go to church, we sing the song, we hear the sermon, cup of tea, off home, sprinkle a midweek Bible study in there, Bob's your uncle. We've gone through the motions, we've ticked all the boxes. And in many ways, a shopkeeper feeling cold towards his job isn't that impactful. But what are the impacts when we grow cold in our faith? Well, it's unlikely we'll sing praise to God, at least not in a meaningful way. It's unlikely we'll speak of his salvation to others. Forgetting how majestic God is, how worthy he is of praise, can really weaken us. But I truly believe the antidote for this is right here in this psalm. If we really dwell on God's holiness, on his perfection, his glory and strength, then we see the wholehearted praise that he is due, that he is worthy of. And instead of slugging through the motions of another church week, we can come to him in awe, in trembling as we worship. Let's move on to our uh, third and final point this morning. We're going to look at verses 10 to 13 to the end of the psalm, and we'll think about his coming. Verse 10 reads, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. We are looking forward to a day when he reigns. And I'd say personally, I find that, of of many things, one of the easiest things to look forward to. We see the state the world is in now, constant peaks and troughs of, of global political unrest, endless famine, endless suffering, and, and of course, off the back of more recent um, current events, endless war. And I, I had a, an idea when I was thinking about this, popped into my head. I wonder when the last time there was no conflict on planet Earth. As you know, like, history's long, spans quite far. Surely there's a day, a week, maybe a month, where there's been no conflict. Uh, That was clearly a very naive thing to think, because when I looked up in my Wikipedia deep dive, there's no periods of recorded human history where there haven't been warfare. Just shocking. But perhaps it's not that shocking. As you see, it's really clear mankind doesn't know how to go about running or ruling the earth. But we look to a day in the future where the Lord Jesus will sit on the throne and firmly establish the world and rule with equity. He's going to return to put everything right that's gone wrong. And we are, I think, really meant to picture the Garden of Eden as we long for these things. Verse 11 reads, Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it. 
Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. We're to cast our minds all the way back. Well, it'll be fresh in your minds to Genesis, to the Garden of Eden, the creation story where we hear of the way things were meant to be. A creation of good things made by God, a time before humanity rejected and severed their relationship to him. The Lord Jesus is returning to restore all of this, to restore, to reconcile, and to judge the earth in righteousness. Think about all the the human injustice that we were just talking about. A day is coming when the only decisions made, the only judgments passed, will be made entirely in righteousness. Ruling that's so just that on that day, the endless cycle of human bloodshed and war that has plagued the entire landscape of human history without pause will cease. Genuine, true peace on earth. And this is what we can long for while we praise God here and now. And encouraging as that is, and it really is an encouragement for us as Christians, this also comes with a really stark warning. This judgment that involves God Um, ruling the earth with complete just righteousness, well, it also involves God absolutely smashing anyone who opposes him. And the empty idols that seem so attractive to cling to here and now will do absolutely nothing to stand in his way. I think there's no better time to reflect on where we stand in all of this. The judgment on his return, we see in this psalm, is for all the earth. For all the people, every nation. How are we going to be found when he returns? Will we be found as people who praise God and bless his name? Or will we be found clinging to life's empty idols without a leg to stand on? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you may be new to Christian things, let me encourage you to really consider some of the things that we have been thinking about here this morning. I think. These verses are really an invitation, an invitation to marvel at God in all his gloriness and come to his courts. In other words, come to God and seek a relationship with him. And let me be clear that none of this is based on a church attendance sheet. It's not based on how many times we have sung to God or how many times we've read the Bible. No, the the salvation that we're talking about here is offered by Jesus, by faith in him. And it's the only way to avoid this righteous judgment. Jesus, the one who one day every knee will bow down to. And by his grace, the window is still very much open. We still have time until his return. And Psalm 96 tells us so clearly exactly what we can do while we long for that return. See God in all his glory. See his worthiness and bring our own offering of praise. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for this powerful reminder of your glory, grace, and holiness. Help us now as we look ahead to another week that we would see just how worthy you are of our praise and that we would strive to praise you in the way this psalm is described as we wait for the return of the Lord Jesus. Lord, if we have grown cold, please use these truths of you to to re-inspire our whole life worship of you each day. And we ask all these things, the precious name of Jesus, who one day will return to reign and judge.
Amen.